Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Everybody okay? Confession time. How many of you put on your furnace this weekend? Anybody? <laughs> I, Friday night, we were going to bed, and my wife said, we need to put on the furnace. I said, nah, we don't need the furnace on. It's not that cold. And uh, Saturday morning, I woke up. Uh, the dog climbed in bed, and she, <laughs> she's a Great Dane, so that's really weird. Uh, and then when I went out, there were claw marks around the thermostat. The cat was trying to turn on the furnace for me, so... But I'm invigorated by it. I'm invigorated by it. So hopefully you are. Oh, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to the Old Testament, to Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, as you know, but in case you don't, we're in a series called Seeking to Know, in which we are exploring the whole idea of not just understanding, but pursuing God's will for our lives. And if you've missed either of the three first three parts uh, I really encourage you to go online and listen because the study builds on itself, and so what we've discussed already in the past is important to our ongoing conversation. Now, last week, we talked about you know, the three different aspects of God's will, and then we identified three guidelines that can help us in the way that we approach decision-making. Uh, guideline number one, we said that in matters specifically addressed in Scripture, the revealed commands and principles of God's moral will are to be obeyed. Uh, no exceptions. As our sovereign creator, God, God knows what is right and what is good and what is best and what is safe and what is healthy for us as human beings. And so we need to listen and submit and follow his direction. Guideline two, in cases where scripture gives no specific command or principle, in other words, non-moral decisions, we are free to choose our desired course of action. And as long as that decision does not violate uh, the, the parameters of God's moral will, that choice is acceptable to God. And then guideline three, in regard to non-moral decisions, our objective is to use wisdom in making good choices. And so, as I promised last Sunday, today we're gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit more about wisdom, how to acquire it, how to apply it. But before we do, let me, let me just remind you how valuable, Scripture says, wisdom is. King Solomon, considered one of the wisest men uh, to ever live, writes this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. He says, blessed, uh, or the word can mean happy or favored, uh, are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Translation, Solomon says, in everyday life, true wisdom is priceless and absolutely essential uh, in making good, healthy, productive decisions. And if he's right, then the question becomes, how do we acquire uh, that kind of wisdom? So I want to talk about that for a few minutes. First, let's pray. Our Father, first things first, we acknowledge to you today that, um, that you are God and we're not. And that in our, in our brokenness, in our, our finiteness, there's just no way that we can fully comprehend you or your will for us or our world. And so um, we bow before you now in humility. And we offer ourselves to you and we ask you to teach us that we might better maneuver our way through this thing called life in a way that's honoring to you and in a way that it's, that's wise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, 20 years ago this fall, um, I was faced with one of the most difficult decisions uh, that I've, I've had to make in my personal and professional life. Uh, the decision was whether to remain as youth pastor at, a, at, a, at an exciting, fun, growing church in northern New Jersey 
an area I grew up with, uh, I grew up in, serving in an established ministry, working with people I enjoyed and cared about, or uh, accept an invitation to come to Glen Ellen to be a senior pastor, a position I had never held in an area I was quite unfamiliar with, start, uh, starting a ministry among people I didn't know and who most certainly did not know me. And frankly, the very idea of a North Jersey guy like me moving to the Midwest is a, was a big deal. I mean, that's a little crazy because, uh, you know, we on the East Coast, we don't, we don't even know if anything really exists west of Philly, you know, and worst, worst thing is we don't really care if it exists. And my wife grew up in Philly, so we're both East Coast people, and I'm, well, I'm serious when I tell you, we were convinced we weren't nice enough to move to the Midwest. You guys were going to kick us out no, no sooner we get here, but obviously you know what we decided, because I'm standing here, but it was a really difficult decision that we had to make, and we had to make it together. And I'll tell you, man, as hard as we searched... We could not find one scripture verse that said, Ray is supposed to pastor a church in DuPage County, Illinois, 60137. Uh, nowhere in the process did the clouds open up and a voice echo from heaven saying, this is the Lord speaking. Go west, young man. You know, the people out there are nice. You got the bears, the bulls, the hawks. The Cubs and Sox are here too, but don't keep that you away from, you know, don't, don't, don't let that stop you from going. Uh, you'll love Chicago. They got great hot dogs. Go. This is my will for you. That didn't happen. And so Margie and I were faced with a non-moral decision. In other words, there were no scriptural commands or principles that directly addressed this situation in our lives. I mean, a move to Chicago was, was neither affirmed nor condemned. And so God was giving us the freedom and the responsibility to make a choice for our family, and we needed wisdom to make it. And I think, looking back, that we made a pretty good choice, uh, although some of you may have a different opinion on that. But I think, we, I, th I think we've made a good choice for our lives. Now, here's the thing. We all face similar circumstances, right? At some point or another, we all, whether individuals or as couples or families together, we have to make personal decisions, significant ones that, that promise to impact our lives. Maybe it's a decision related to business or health or could be finances or career or politics, family, church, you know, school, dating, marriage, other relationships, but whatever. You know, there are times we find ourselves presented with a choice. We have options, but there doesn't seem to be any biblical direction. No clear right or wrong way to go. And because, because of that, some of us experience a, a pretty high level of anxiety and, and, and indecision which I get. I mean, I, that's understandable because who wants to mess up? You know, who, who among us wants to make a poor choice that, that may, might haunt us for years? And so sometimes, you know, as Christians, if we're honest, we, we, just, we would just really like it if God would just tell us exactly where to go, what to do, where to do it, when to do it. But we all know, more often than not, he doesn't. As we noted last week, God has revealed an enormous amount of information and direction for our lives. You know, through Scripture, uh, God speaks both, you know, uh, generally and, and specifically to many experiences and issues we, we face, and yet a high percentage of the time, God is silent, offering no explicit instruction or direction on what to do in various life situations. Instead, He grants us the freedom and responsibility to choose for ourselves. How do we do that? Well, first of all, here's the deal. Decision-making is not an exact science. Um, as flawed, finite human beings, we're not always going to get it right. So I don't want to stand up here and, and imply that there's, there's some 
proven, fail-safe formula that we can follow that will enable us to always make perfect choices. That's just not possible because none of us are perfect, which is exactly why God offers us something that can assist us in making good decisions, and that something is wisdom. Now, wisdom is one of those words that we use a lot uh, and we're familiar with, but what exactly is it? Because for some people, wisdom is all about IQ or compiling data. Uh, For others, it's sort of an undefined, abstract thing. But here's the biblical perspective. In In Scripture, wisdom is intensely practical. It's not theoretical. Wisdom represents the insight and ability to live skillfully, to form and choose the correct and appropriate plan of action to gain desired results. And that's why Solomon says, happy or favored is the person who finds wisdom. It's it's more valuable than silver. It yields a better return than gold. It's, it's more precious than rubies. Nothing you, you desire can compare with wisdom. So ultimately, what it comes down to is when we are making decisions in non-moral areas of life, we are free and responsible to make wise choices. But again, how do we do that? Well, let, let me suggest uh, not, you know, not, not, a, not a fail-safe formula but just a few practical steps we can take toward making wise decisions, okay? So step number one is this. We submit ourselves to God. And make no mistake, man, this is, this is the most important thing we can do. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, or Proverbs actually, Solomon describes it this way. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Yeah, just so you know, he's not the only one say that, the psalmist says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Psalm 110. Uh, Job says it. In fact, I've been doing a lot of reading in Job because I give you a little insider information. The series following this one is on Job. It's on suffering. And uh, Job experienced a lot of that in his life. And at one point, he's he's struggling to try to gain some kind of understanding uh, of it and how to to respond to it. And he asks the questions. he, He says, where can wisdom be found? He says, it cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. Job says, you can't mine it out of the mountains. You can't dig it out of the river bottoms. You can't buy it with gold. He says, where then does wisdom come from? Death and destruction say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. And then Job says this, God alone understands the way to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens And he has said to the human race, fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Here's my Reiki summary. Job, the psalmist, Solomon, they all say that when it comes to life, you know, when it comes to decision making in life, we must always start with God. We hold him in the highest esteem with reverence and respect, acknowledging that he is God and we are not, that he knows He knows what is right and good and best for us as human beings. And so we humbly submit ourselves to him. And we express to him our desire to listen and trust and obey and please him in all things. It's just that if we say it, we better mean it because there's no fooling him. Now, some of you who know me know that I didn't didn't grow up in a Christian home, a Christian environment. And prior to becoming a a follower of Jesus, I made a lot of stupid decisions. Why? Simple, really. I had no fear of God. I didn't. 
I figured God was out there somewhere doing his God thing, but I didn't give a rip, uh, you know, about what he thought or what he wanted. God's will meant nothing to me. Like a lot of people today, I mean, I had a belief in God. I just didn't have a relationship with him and certainly no reverence for him. And without going into the gory details, trust me when I tell you I was living like a fool, making poor, unhealthy, dangerous, destructive choices. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I made a personal commitment to God through faith in Jesus that I began to understand his love for me and, and his grace and, and, and it, was, it was at that point then that my decisions and the direction of life started to shift and began to have a semblance of wisdom, goodness, healthiness, and productivity. Now that was true for me. So let me ask you, what kind of life are you living? I mean, seriously, what kind of life are you living? What kind of decisions are you making? What's your opinion about God? Maybe you, you believe in him. 90, over 90% of Americans do. So if you believe him, that's great. It makes you religious. But do you really care about him? Do, does it matter to you what he thinks? Because that tells us a lot. I mean, take it for someone who knows. The ability to make good, healthy, productive choices in life demands wisdom, and true wisdom begins with knowing, revering, and submitting ourselves personally to God. Once you do that and, and mean it, then you begin to understand his love for you and his grace and how he wants the best for you. And then, at that point, you're ready to take the next step, which is to pray and ask God for wisdom. That's what Solomon says. He says, ask because the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Then you'll, he says, then you'll understand what's right and, and, and just and fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Over in the New Testament, James writes Christians in the church, he puts it this way. He says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And when he says without finding fault, he's saying, look, God's not going to mock you or belittle you if you admit that you need wisdom. We all need it. God gets that. He understands that. He wants to help, and he will help if we ask. And here's an interesting thing. If you, when you think about it, it's really in the midst of, uh, of decision-making that we as Christians are given the opportunity to have a supernatural encounter with the Spirit of God who dwells within us. I mean, remember Jesus said, when we become followers of his, uh, we, are, we are given the Spirit of God himself. And the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Spirit is to, is to guide us, which is why the New Testament commands that we walk according to the Spirit. And so as we pray, God's spirit who indwells us in a way that I can't fully comprehend or explain reveals to our hearts and minds the wisdom needed in handling uh, our situations. Now, just a word of caution on this. Sometimes our personal preferences or emotions get in the way and can be interpreted as the leading of the spirit or that inner prompting we sense may be less about the work of the Spirit of God and more about the rumblings of an overly spicy burrito that we ate. You know, uh, that's just a reality. So how do we, you know, how do we, how do we tell the difference? How do we know the difference? Well, here's how. If any of, of us claim to have wisdom from God that contradicts the teaching and principles of Scripture, then we're wrong. 
if our claim to wisdom contradicts the wise and godly counsel of other mature Christians, then we're also probably mistaken. And see, this is why there are more than just two steps to wise decision-making because we're imperfect men and women who at times have selfish motives and, and flawed emotions. And so I'm convinced uh, that not only do we need to commit to God and ask him for wisdom, but we also need to use our brains you know, and to evaluate the facts. Solomon said, the simple, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The discerning heart seeks knowledge. Translation, a genuinely wise person is someone who factors in the details of their circumstances. Or to put it another way, accurate information is essential to making wise choices. We can't always trust our emotions. We can't can't and shouldn't jump to conclusions. We, we, We shouldn't operate in ignorance or depend on rumors. Knowledge. Accurate knowledge is necessary to the application of wisdom. And so when we're faced with an important decision, we need to evaluate the facts, you know, which means we analyze our circumstances. We uh, evaluate our options. We consider not only our own needs, but if we're married, the needs of our spouse, the needs of our kids. We assess, we assess the pros and the cons of each possible choice. In short, we gather as much information as possible in order to make a wise decision. The next step is to research scripture. Because once we have all the facts, we need to make sure, we need to make sure that our considered course of action doesn't in any way violate the commands and principles of God's moral will. You know, in the New Testament, Paul explains it. He says, look, all scripture is, is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so, so, that every, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, he's saying God has revealed to us in and through the scriptures exactly what we need to know and as much as we need to know in order to do what's right and good. And again, as we said last Sunday, God's word tells us what to believe and how to behave. How do we find out what scripture says? Well, the answer is obvious. We read it. You know, I, th- I think every Christian should make the study of and the meditation on scripture a personal and spiritual discipline. We should be doing it every single day. I mean, you realize if you read three to four chapters a day, you can read through the entire Bible in a year. If it's possible, uh, I think it's helpful and extremely valuable to be involved in a life group where we are reading and we're discussing the truth of Scripture and its application to our lives with other Christians. At Parkview, we offer a lot of those those kinds of groups. Uh, We're launching new ones all the time because we believe that we are better together than alone and apart. Trust me, I mean, a few things stimulate spiritual growth more than a, the kind of accountability that, that these groups provide us with one another, to one another. You know, every now and then someone will come up to me, you know, if we're doing a study, let's say, in James or something, someone will come up to me and say, man, Ray, I, I could never know or understand God's word as well as you. And, I, you know, hey, with all due respect, that's just silly. That, that's not true, man, look at me. You don't have to be a saber mathematician or a scholar in ancient languages to learn what Scripture says. God hasn't just given his word to a select few to interpret and disseminate. He's given it to all of us. You don't have to have an IQ the size of America's gross national product to interpret it. You don't need letters 
you know, after your name or impressive titles in front of it, like Reverend, Doctor, or Illustrious King of Parkview or something like that, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, look, it's just, this is just me. As far as I'm concerned, there are three simple things you need to learn and understand Scripture. You need a Bible, you need some time, and you need humility. Those three things will get you started. And here's the deal. You don't, you don't, if, you don't read, if you don't read Scripture, how are you ever going to know whether the decision you're considering is or isn't in violation of God's moral will? You won't. You can't. Are you just going to take everybody else's word for it? So practically speaking, you need to study the Scripture in order to know and do what's right. And that's what the psalmist was getting at when he, when he wrote, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? He says, God, don't let me stray from your commands. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I will not neglect your word. Is that what we say? Is that how we live? So, you know, in making good decisions, we commit to God. We ask for wisdom. We evaluate the facts. We research scripture. And then Solomon says, he says, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by sound judgment and discretion? Well, simply, I think he means use common sense. Use common sense. Now, don't misunderstand. I mean, as God's people, we are called to live by faith. No question about it. And faith sometimes calls us to act in a way that contradicts normal reason. I mean, think about it. Common sense would have never prompted Noah to build a giant boat in the middle of dry, arid region, right? Common sense would have never motivated Abraham to, 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 to place his son Isaac on, the, on an altar as a potential sacrifice. Common sense wouldn't have compelled Joshua and the nation of Israel to, to try and conquer a fortified city like Jericho by marching around it in silence and then suddenly blowing some trumpets and screaming at the top of their lungs. That's kind of odd. Common sense wouldn't have caused a bunch of average fishermen in the first century to leave their jobs and follow a poor carpenter who claimed to be the son of God, deity in the flesh. I mean, I'm the first to admit that sometimes faith calls us to do the uncommon, individually, as leaders, as churches. But generally speaking, in the course of everyday life, Common sense, more often than not, is a key element to making good decisions. We also need to seek trusted counsel. In other words, there are instances when we should solicit advice from people, the people around us who we know to be mature and experienced in life and faith. Proverbs says, wisdom is found in those who take advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Now, I don't know about you, but... I have a number of wise, mature friends that I, I greatly respect. Some of them men, some of them women. Uh, some are Christian, some are not. And when I'm faced with, with difficult decisions, depending on what it is, I, I will call them, maybe meet with them, uh, ask their advice, get their feedback. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're always right or we're in total agreement or talking to them is going to make the decision easier. But what I've learned over the years is that wisdom, there's wisdom to be gleaned by seeking input from people who can bring some experience and maturity, emotional, intellectual, professional, spiritual into the conversation. 
And it is critical. It's critical we have these kind of people to go to, especially, especially fellow Christians who share our worldview. And in my, my opinion, it's essential we have them in our lives before we hit crisis mode. And so establishing and, and cultivating healthy, trusted relationships in the context of Christian community, uh, I tell you, it plays a pivotal, pivotal role in making wise choices. Proverbs says, walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. So quick quiz here. If this week, let's say this week you are suddenly faced with a big decision, you know, with all kinds of implications, a big one. Who are three mature Christians you can trust, you can go to and trust for advice? I'm not talking about your buddies who you hang out with and, you know, goof around with and watch football with and who probably may or may or may not tell you what you need to hear. But I'm talking about people that you know will tell you what you need to hear and ask you the hard questions, you know, mature, honest, godly counsel. And if there's no one, if there's no one, that puts you in a serious, at a serious disadvantage. It does. So up to this point, we've prepared ourselves well. I think we've submitted to God, prayed for wisdom, evaluated the facts, researched scripture, used common sense, sought out wise counsel. Now what? Well, now we make a decision. We make a decision. If need be, the final question we could ask ourselves, which may seem overly simplistic, but here it is. What seems to be the right thing to do? What does my gut tell me? What does my heart tell me? And some of you may say, well, that, that doesn't sound very sophisticated. That sounds a little unspiritual, actually. What does it seem to, you know, what does it seem to be right? Well, here's the deal. When Paul, the Apostle Paul was trying to decide whether his young protege, pastoral protege Timothy should stay with him in Athens or not, uh, here's what he says in a letter to Christians in Thessalonica. He says, you know, so when we could stand it no longer, we, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, our brother, to strengthen and encourage you in, in your faith. We thought it best, so we did it. When Luke was explaining why he decided to write a detailed uh, account of Jesus' life, he says, well, you know, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you. It, seemed, it just seemed good. It seemed like the right thing to do. Here's the point. Most decisions that we make in our lives, in leadership, um, most of the ones we make are not going to be you know, sensationalized, earth-shattering events. And it may come down to saying, what seems best? After everything else, what seems best? And once you've determined what seems to be the best course of action for you, You've made your decision. The only thing left to do is implement. Implement the decision. In other words, do it. Follow through on what you've decided and trust God who's given you the freedom to choose and who is good and loving and wants the best for you. In Proverbs, Solomon offers this encouragement. He says, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The Apostle Paul expresses it this way in the New Testament. He says, look, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, look, I don't, I don't know what decisions you may be facing in your life today. I don't know what ones you might face tomorrow this week. I don't know if serious ones are heading your way or heading my way. But I know this, eventually we all have to make them for ourselves for our families, for our churches. 
And the, the, the key in making good, healthy, productive choices rests in acquiring and applying wisdom. I mean, certainly as flawed and finite human beings, we need it. We need it. And so this morning, I invite you to join me with reverence in humbly submitting ourselves to the God who loves us, who loves us and who has proven it to us in Jesus. Because one thing scripture is clear on, the fear of the Lord, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we all acknowledge that life uh, can at times be confusing. And we are, we're faced with decisions, big ones, small ones. And um, we, mo- we want to make good ones, healthy ones, ones that are honoring to you. And at least I hope we do. And I'm, we want to thank you for your word in which you have revealed to us uh, an awful lot of information of how to live those kind of safe, productive lives. But we also know we face circumstances when um, there's just no clear path, there's no clear choice to make. And you have graciously given us the freedom uh, and responsibility to choose. And even then we wanna do, we wanna, we wanna do what is wise. And so we ask you for that wisdom. And we, uh, we trust that you'll grant it to us because we know that you love us. You love us more than anything. And you've proven it in Jesus. And so we submit ourselves to you and we celebrate your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. And if maybe you're facing a big decision in life, uh, some of our prayer team folks will be down here in the front following. They'll be happy to pray with you about it or maybe have some questions about this whole Christian thing. They'll, they're willing to talk to you as well. But I uh, uh, hope you can come back next week. We're going to continue with the series, talk a little bit more about the will of God and how it applies and affects our lives. And hopefully, hopefully you're finding it uh, helpful. So let me pray for you as we go. Now, Lord, I pray that as your people, as we leave this place, we would go with our eyes looking to heaven, uh, that we would submit ourselves fully to you, the God who loves us and wants the best for us. And in the brokenness of our world, we're going to trust you no matter what happens. And uh, I pray that that would be true for us. And we would live in such a way that we point people to you, our God. Um, And now may your hand of peace and rest and strength and wisdom Uh, beyond your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.